You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Well, how are you guys doing with the new series, Hit Play? Everybody hit and play? Yeah, yeah, this world's not bothering you anymore. Man, life is up. You're running, you're rolling, you know. Raise the sails, engage with the wind, go for it. It's been crazy, hasn't it? Just been crazy. But I do encourage you. I mean, the series has gotten off to a wonderful start. If you have missed either one of the weekends, the first Sunday, our senior pastor, Mike Lewis, gave that message. And here's the thing about God. God is a God of order. So when a senior pastor gets up on the stage and says, let me share with you what I hear what the Lord is saying, man, lend an ear. You know what I'm saying? Get a hold of what he said that weekend of what God is saying to us as a church for this year. And then Pastor Dave came in last week with the thought that he was going to just fan the flames a little bit. Well, holy cow. Man, did he do some fanning. A good friend of mine, Jesse Rivera, that's on the guest services team, he said, I got a new name for Dave. I'm going to start calling him Hurricane Dave. I mean, he fanned the fire out that fire. I mean, he fanned it and fanned it hard. And this weekend, you know, when we sat down to plan the whole hit play series, the thought was, you know, it just kind of feels like everybody's been stuck. And one of the things we felt like we needed to do was help people with dreams and expectations. Like, how do you resurrect dreams? Let's get that going again. You know, God's not asleep. God's not on pause. And then how do you manage expectations? So we felt like we needed to do both of those. And, you know, managing expectations really is helping you make sense out of a world that makes no sense so that you don't get paralyzed by the whole thing. And so I've got a movie clip that I feel like will serve us really well in just sort of laying a good foundation for us to build off of for the the message this morning. But before I show that, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page with, with two different things. Number one, can we all agree that dreams come in many different shapes and sizes, right? There's big dreams, there's small dreams, there's intimate dreams, there's all sorts of different dreams. But at the core of every single one of us, what pushes us to dream is this desire that we all want to know that we make a difference. Is that not right? We all want to know that our life matters, that it counted for something, that we made a difference in this world. And there's a good reason for that. In Ephesians 2.10, God said, look, I created you in Christ. You are my workmanship created to do good works. Interpretation created to make a difference. And I did that in you before the foundations of the world. So God says every single one of us are created to make a difference. And then when it comes to managing expectations, which is how we expect these dreams to play out, can we just all get on the same page that life never happens the way that you expect it to play out? One of my favorite quotes by the great prophet Doc Holliday. Comes from the movie Tombstone. It's near the end of the movie and, and Doc Holliday is, he's in the bed, he's dying and Wyatt Earp is right there by his side and they're having this conversation and Doc says to Wyatt, Wyatt, what is it that you want? And Wyatt looks back at him, he says, just to live a normal life, I guess. And this is my favorite line in the whole movie. Doc Holliday looks at him and says, There is no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. So get on with it. 
I love that because it's so true. There's no such thing as I just want to have a normal life. I promise you nobody in this room is living a quote unquote normal life. And this was the case for the character in the scene from this movie. His name is George Bailey. Many of you already know the movie. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. And in this movie, George Bailey is a dreamer. He grew up as a dreamer from a very young age. He dreamed of being a world traveler, going to exotic places, of being an engineer. He wanted to learn how to build buildings and bridges. And most of all, he grew up knowing, man, I, I, there's way too much for me to, to be stuck in this sleepy little town of Bedford Falls. This is not where I'm supposed to be. Man, I'm meant to get out there and make a difference in the world. And that's how he grew up. But just like happens to all of us, what happened to George Bailey was life. Those plans to go to college, to be an engineer. Sorry, George, that's not going to happen. Life has other plans for you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to go see exotic places. I'm going to travel the world. Nope, George, afraid not. That's not just, just not in the cards for you in this lifetime. You're, you're going to end up right here. No, 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 I don't want to stay in Bedford Falls. I need to get out of Bedford Falls. Well, George, unfortunately, you're going to be stuck right here. And after life happens over and over and over, instead of becoming the world-traveling engineer, George finds himself the owner now of the small business that his father started when he was a little boy, the Bailey Building and Loan. And to George, this was a little measly one-horse operation that barely provided enough money for a salary for himself and three other employees. The only benefit, if you will, to the job was that it did provide another place for people to go for financial help other than going to Potter. Potter was the meanest and richest man in Bedford Falls. He had one goal. He wanted to own everything and everyone. The only thing standing in his way, the Bailey building and loan. So as much as George didn't get to travel, as much as he didn't get to be an engineer, that fight in him, he enjoyed this thing between him and Potter. It was a true David and Goliath story. Potter was 100% Goliath and, and George, David, knew he was a thorn under Potter's saddle. And he loved every minute of it. He loved every chance he could to keep Potter from reaching his goal of owning everything, of just taking over the town. But what George was about to find out, just like all of us find out in life, we all have Goliaths, right? We all have that giant that stands in front of us, that gets in our face. But Goliath doesn't always come at you with brute force. Sometimes Goliath comes to you and he makes an appeal to those very dreams and desires you've always wanted right there in your heart. Take a look. Oh, I love that. I love that scene. And you know, George, he did win that battle. But the thing about Potter is Potter was an opportunist. He never stopped looking for an opportunity. And one soon popped up. Through no fault of his own, George Bailey found himself in a position where a tremendous amount of money went missing from the building and loan. And they couldn't figure out what happened to it. And so he goes back to Potter, begging Potter to help him. Just give him enough money to get them through this crisis. And of course, Potter, seeing the opportunity, said, I'm going to help you out, George. I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up this phone call. I'm going to call the sheriff and have a warrant taken out for your arrest. And George runs out of Potter's office, goes to the bar, has a few drinks, and finally gets himself in such a pity party 
that he finally ends up crying out to God. And this is what he cries out. God, it would have been better if I would have never been born. And God says, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm going to grant you that prayer. And he does. God sends an angel and shows George exactly what life in Bedford Falls would be like if he had never been born. And all the people that George knew and loved who were warm and compassionate and kind, now they were hard and they were cynical. Because George wasn't there to be kind and compassionate to them, they now weren't kind and compassionate. And because George wasn't there as a force for good, evil won. Potter bought the whole town. He owned everything. It wasn't even Bedford Falls anymore. Now it was called Pottersville. And all the quaint little mom and pop shops and stores were all gone, replaced with strip malls and gambling casinos and dance halls, a completely dark atmosphere. And the straw that broke his back was when he saw his wife, Mary, that he loved so much, who never married, became an old maid. And what really broke his heart was when he realized his children that he loved dearly had never been born. And so he cries out to God again. He says, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please give me my life back. I truly had a wonderful life. And that's why this, the movie is titled that. And I love that movie because I believe it reveals a truth that is universal to every single one of us. And that is that we all severely underestimate the impact of our life. The problem from George was the same problem that we all have. It was a, a problem of perspective. Until he could get God's perspective and see the big pictures of things, he couldn't understand what in the world was going on. So for us, you know, for George, here's the thing about George. George was so concerned about so many things that he thought would really make a big difference. And it turns out that everything he thought would make a big difference in the world really didn't matter. And all the things that he thought really didn't matter made all the difference in the world, including his own life. So how do we get that kind of a perspective? How do we get God's perspective without having to find ourselves at the bottom of a barrel crying out for God, wishing we'd never been born? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. It just so happens that Jesus lays this out so easy for us to see. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, this is, and perhaps you've heard of it, there's a, a famous sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. So one day Jesus goes to this hillside, there's a huge crowd of people, and he begins to teach. And now when you read it in the Bible, this is a very long period of time that he taught. He taught on the Beatitudes. He taught on all these different things. And if you're familiar with a red letter Bible, red letter means when the letters are in red, those were precisely Jesus' words, him speaking. All of chapter 5, all of chapter 6, all of chapter 7 is one long teaching that Jesus did. He went through the Beatitudes. He went through what's called salt and light. He said, look, those who believe in God, who put their faith in God, we're to be the flavor in the world. We're to bring life into the world that they don't have. We're to be light. We're to bring the light of God into darkness. Then he talked about the fulfillment of the law. He said, look... I know you guys think that I came to abolish the law, but that is not true. The law of God stands firm and will for all eternity. 
And he said the only way to ever get into heaven is to live a perfect life according to the law of God. And then he said this, you can't do it. He said, you can't live the perfect life. He said, I know that it says don't commit murder. But he said, I'm telling you, if you've ever even had a hateful thought towards another person, you committed murder in your mind. I know that it says don't commit adultery. But if you've ever looked at somebody else lustfully, you've committed adultery in your mind. So he builds this case and he says, there's absolutely no way you can live the kind of life that God demands. But there is a very narrow way to get into heaven. And I'm the way. He said, I came to live my life and to fulfill God's law so that now I can give my life and surrender it for you. And because you put your faith and trust in me, God will give you my righteousness and God will guarantee your place in heaven just by putting your faith and trust in me. He goes on and he talks about loving your enemies. He talks about how it's easy to love people that love you, but I've called you to love your enemies. He talks about prayer. This is how we should pray. This is how we should approach the Father. He talks about fasting, the very thing that we're doing as a church right now. He goes through treasures in heaven. How do you build up treasures in heaven? He goes through all these different teachings. That's about a third of what he taught in all three of these chapters. And then he gets to the very end of chapter 7. And he boils it down so nicely that it is so plain and easy to see. Verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everything he just got finished teaching, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, here's what I love about this verse. I love it because it's so easy to see which choice to make. So I asked them if they would put this verse up there side by side because it's literally exactly the same except for a few words. So if we start at the top, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's the same in each half of that verse. So that would be all of us. Is everybody hearing? Everybody good? Everybody hear what I'm saying? Sweet. All right. So, hey, we're right there. Step one. We have all hear, heard. We've all heard God's word. Now it takes a little bit different turn. Because over here it says, and puts them into practice. That's one side. But over here it says, and does not put them into practice. So now we see, here are the two different choices. We can choose to take it God's way, or we can choose to live life our way. Now the Bible has a lot to say about that. You know, if we're going to choose to live it our way, what we're going to do is we're going to say, God, I hear your word. I know that you've, you've written it all out in here. I know this is the guidance for my life. I know it's probably good, but you know what? I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to go with my reasoning. I'm going to go with what I think and what I feel. And the problem with that in Proverbs, it says that there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. So let's follow through and see why that is. Immediately, we see if you live your life according to God's way, you're a wise man. If you don't, you're foolish. Why? Because if you live it on God's way, you're building your house on a rock. Jesus Christ is this word made flesh. Jesus Christ is the rock, the foundation of our faith. And he's eternal. He does not change. Nothing changes him. Nothing changes God. Nothing. 
So when you build your life on this, it does not get any more solid. There's nothing more solid. Anything else that you build your life on in this world is like sand. Why? Because it can be here today and gone tomorrow. If you want to build it on money, it can be here today and gone tomorrow. If you want to build it on possessions, here today, gone tomorrow. If you want to build it on health, here today, gone tomorrow. doesn't matter. All the things of this world leave. God's word is the rock. Here's my favorite part. And I wish that of all things, I hope we get this. Look at this side by side. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Does that happen on both sides? So the storms are coming. How appropriate for today. Right now, outside, the winds are blowing, the rain's coming down, the floodwaters are rising in downtown Charleston. So it's going on right now. But this is the thing. There's nothing in God's word that says, when you choose my way, man, you don't have, that, that storm ain't going to happen. No, he doesn't say that. He said, oh, the storm's coming. Jesus said, look, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. And when you build your life on me, you will be sheltered from that storm. That's why, that's why cancer happens to believers and non-believers. That's why some believers who get cancer get healed and some do not. And it's the truth of God's word to help you make sense of that because if you just try to use your own mind and your own reasoning, it doesn't make sense because all you want to say is, well, God is good, so nobody should die. That's a true statement. But you need to understand where we're at in the story. And where we're at in the story is we're living in a fallen world that's full of sickness and disease and pain and suffering. And God never said he's going to keep all that away from you. As a matter of fact, he said, it's coming. But when it comes, I can give you a peace and a confidence on the inside in your spirit that nothing can take away. Now, the doctors might offer you something that gives you peace, but there's a chance it won't work. Your rich uncle might be able to write you out something that may give you peace, but it's going to fade away. And again, this is not about money. So when you see that clip about Potter, this is not about money and being wealthy. It is not that. It doesn't mean that anytime you get a big job offer, you'll say, oh, no, no, stay away. No, it's not that at all. Jesus had very many wealthy men and women in his ministry that helped him. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's what is your life built on? And when your life is built on the rock, there are some people that God has blessed them tremendously financially. And you can spot them. They're in this congregation. I know them and I know them well. And they're some of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. Make so much money and yet give so much of it away. They're not trying to store it away and try to hang on to it. They know where that blessing is coming from. So the storm is coming but when you choose God's way, it's not going to fall because your foundation is on the rock. But if you don't choose that way, sooner or later, it's going to come down with a great crash. There are so many. I love this visual of the house in a storm. Another great visual is in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized, and I love it. It was like a life verse for me. It says, Blessed is the man that does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of living water, which bears fruit in its season and whose leaf never withers. In all he does, he will prosper. 
Again, what is the picture? The picture is not that if you do this, you're going to be a tree and nothing's going to happen. No, you're going to be a tree planted by the streams of living water so that when the drought comes and those other trees that are out there that are too far away from the source, their leaf is going to wither. They are not going to produce fruit. But because of where you are, because you are right next to the living water, you're going to bear fruit in any season, the easy season and the hard season. The seasons of plenty and the seasons of drought does not matter to you. You're going to bear fruit because of what your life is built on. And your leaf is never going to wither. You're always going to be ready because you're right here. I love that verse. Now, this would be such an easy decision if it was just me and you, right? If it was just us and God, if that's the only two players in the game, duh, no break. Right now, you're all sitting there looking at it going, well, <laughs> Of course, Eddie. I don't want to be a foolish person building my life on sand. I don't want to build my house under rock. The problem is there's a third player, potter, the devil, the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober and alert because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In John chapter 10, Jesus said it this way, the thief's purpose, potter's purpose, the devil's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So we have to be aware that there is an adversary. We have to be aware that there is a devil. We have to make room in our life for God because the only way to be able to discern the difference is by making room for God. It's what George Bailey did when he cried out for God. In that moment, he made room in his life for God now to come and have input. And when he did that, it completely changed his perspective. And that's what we need to do. We need to make room in our life for God. Eddie, I mean, that, that was a movie clip. I get it, but I'm telling you it's real. Let me give you two examples from the Bible of where the enemy comes because his, his goal is always the same, right? What was Potter trying to do with George? Man, look, George, I'm going I'm to offer you all this. You're doing the same thing. You're going to be helping people, but you're going to be in a much better position to help people now because you're going to have a lot more money and be able to do a lot more things because of all the money that you're making. Two people in the Bible who face the same adversary you and I face, King David. King David was anointed king when he was a young man, a young teenager. Samuel, the prophet, comes to his house. He anoints David. And he says, David, God has chosen you. You are the next king of Israel. Saul no longer has the favor of God. Saul was the current king. He said, Saul no longer has the favor of God. God has chosen you and you shall be the next king of Israel. Now, through crazy events, David finds himself working for Saul in the palace. Saul is still king. And as David grows and Saul begins to give him responsibilities, the biggest one being, being in charge of his troops, the people start to like David more than they do Saul. Well, Saul gets so mad and jealous about it that he starts trying to kill David to the point to where David has to flee for his life. So now David and a handful of men, they're running for their life. Saul is after him. They find themselves in this place in Israel called En Gedi. And in En Gedi, there's all these caves everywhere. David and his men were hiding in a cave. Here's how the enemy works. Saul was like, got to go to the bathroom. Got to put everything on pause, guys. I got to go to the bathroom. I'm sorry. I've been holding it as long as I can. He goes to a cave to use the bathroom. Out of all the caves he could have walked into, he walks into David's cave. 
David and his men are back in the back where it's really dark, real far away, but they see who it is. David's men come to, uh, come to him and say, David, this is it. Didn't God tell you you were going to be the next king of Israel? Didn't he tell you that Saul no longer has the favor of God? Didn't he tell you that he would hand your enemies at your feet? Here he is. Clearly, God has lined this up. And here's the wisdom of David. David said, I will not touch God's anointed. I mean, it couldn't have been any more clear. It couldn't have been any more of a sign. It's a sign because it all lined up. Let me tell you something. The devil could line them signs up just like God. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was trying to get David off track of God's plan for his life. And God said, look, if God is who he said he is, then he will do what he said he will do without me having to make it happen. And so he spares Saul's life. Another man, you might have heard of him, his name is Jesus. Jesus gets baptized to launch his ministry and immediately God leads him out in the desert to, to pray and fast for 40 days and nights. We're struggling with 21. My man went out there and did 40. And when did the enemy come to him? Day 40. When do you think you're the hungriest? When do you think you're the weakest? When are you in a state of mind where you're like, man, I would give anything for this to be over right now. And the devil comes and says, oh, man, I, I recognize you. You are the son of God. But look, you know what? God loves you. He's your father, right? He's given you the power and ability. You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Eat something. God would totally be okay with that. And right away, Jesus recognized. Him. He said, no, 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 no. Almost like George when he stood up. Wait, 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 wait. Something, something, uh-uh. Something's not right here. Something's not right here. You know what it says in God's word? It says, man shall not live by bread alone but he'll live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Satan, like Potter, got all ticked off, ran away. Comes back just a little bit later. Takes him up onto this high point above the temple. He says, you know what it says in God's word, since you brought that up, because you're right, that is what it says in God's word. I was studying God's word. And it actually says in there that he will give his angels charge over you so that no harm will come to you. So really, just jump off right here and then the angels will come and they'll catch you and they'll lower you safely to the ground. Jesus said, nope, nope, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. This is what God's word said. It says, you will not tempt the Lord your God. So I'm not going to tempt God by doing that. Doggone it. Then the devil said, oh man, I was watching It's a Wonderful Life last night. This'll do it. This'll do it. He carries Jesus up to this high place and he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, all the riches that this world has to offer, all the power, all the wealth, all the influence. And he says, all of this belongs to me and I will give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And at that point, he'd had enough. He said, Satan, get thee behind me. Because God's word said you will worship the Lord and worship him only. And at that point, the devil left. But can you see how easy it can be? You're hungry. Well, God wants you to eat. Well, you're going to get, you're going to get in, in terrible trouble. Well, God you know, doesn't want that to happen. He wants to protect you. Well, you know, gosh, I just, you know, I just need some nicer things. Well, God understands if you've got to you know, cheat a little bit here and cheat a little bit there to have some nice things. He's your father. He would want you to have those nicer things. Or what about David? David, can it be any more lined up for you? 
Here's the man that God said he doesn't want as king anymore, and he put him at your feet. This is why we have to have that room for God. All right, Eddie, well, that's just a movie clip. Okay, movies aren't real. You're right. And Jesus and David, come on. Two of the greatest men in the Bible? Okay, that's not me. My life is not at a level of Jesus or David. You're probably right about that. And I knew you would say that. So because I knew you would say that, I asked a very good friend of mine to share his testimony around this very topic. Take a look. Hi, I'm Keith Brace, and I'm a longtime member here at Cathedral. I'm a part of our growth track ministry, and I'm also a part of VOC, the Voices of Cathedral. I was in what I would call a transition year. You know, I had uh, just peaked 50 years old just a couple years ago, and I had just emptied my nest. My wife and I uh, had both of our children graduate from college and, and move on into their own careers. And believe it or not, both of them within five months of each other decided to get married as well. So our family grew and yet uh, they, they all went out on their own and are doing their own thing. So that was a tough transition. And I also hit uh, the 10 year mark of my job at the Citadel and it started to feel a little bit stale. You know, I'm not getting any younger and I'm hanging out with 19 to 22 year old kids and it's, it's tough. And you know, it's, it's physically demanding and the hours are long. And you know, quite honestly, I probably started feeling a little bit sorry for myself. I let the enemy get his foot in the door, you know, and I started, I started thinking about worldly things that somehow I felt like I had earned or deserve, you know, the wealth, the, the uh, prestige, the, easy living, you know, the, the easy job with the big paycheck, those kind of things. And I started pursuing jobs. I started putting resumes out there. I started talking to people about different careers and found some really cool stuff out there that got my attention that uh, was interesting. It included good pay, travel, uh, something new, a challenge, all the things that I got excited about. And I was to that point where I was thinking so seriously about making this change that I started to struggle with it because I loved the job I'm in. I, I didn't think there was another job out there for me. This was like handmade for me. It was the perfect job. And I'm thinking about leaving it and I was torn. Well, it, it turned out that God had the answer for me. And uh, I came in here one Sunday, it was November 14th and just worshiping uh, you know, the Holy Spirit just fell on me. And I just knew uh, that, that God had something for me that morning. And I just leaned into it. And, you know, I, at, at the time I wasn't sure what God was wanting from me, but that's what came up. It was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this next season of my life. And as soon as I offered that up to him, it was almost as if, oh, okay, you're ready to ask me now. <laughs> and. It was, it was like a blinding flash of the obvious. And he said two very specific things to me. He, he said to me very clearly, stop believing that somehow you've earned the right to relax. He says, it's not time for you to relax. And then the second thing was, he asked me what I was chasing for. What was it that I was actually looking for that I didn't already have? And when I thought about those two things, I didn't need to go anywhere. I knew that I was right where I was supposed to be. And it was just this, this, this huge weight was lifted. 
you know, what reinvigorated me was knowing, one, I am exactly where God wants me to be. It's where He's prepared me to be. And the impact that I'm having on the young men and women there at the Citadel is huge. And I wouldn't want to give that up. And so now I go in there with this renewed enthusiasm, this renewed excitement that I do have a pretty cool job and I do make a difference and I am helping young men and women, you know, start their careers off on the right foot. Um, so now I'm, I'm re-energized. And as I look back on it, I realize, well, of course, I'm right where God put me. I'm in the job that He gave me, that He prepared me for, and I'm looking for something else. And uh, so it was just one of those blinding flashes of the obvious that He's been with me and He was going to allow me to struggle through it and work my own way through it. Um, but as soon as I turned to Him, He was right there. He didn't take offense to the fact that I was trying to do it on my own. And I was. I was being stubborn and I was um, probably thinking, hey, I, I can handle this. this you know, this is, this is all on me. I don't need God's help. But He's, he's always faithful. He's always good, and you know, I think he, he does it in a way that is you know, what you would expect from a father, a way that is encouraging rather than something where you feel beat down. And uh, I think I, I very easily could have felt scolded you know, over the fact that, you know, oh, you're finally coming to me for the answer, about time. No, that, that wasn't his reply at all. His reply to me was, you're right where I want you to be. And, and that was, again, it was just very, uh, reassuring and confirming for me. And uh, yeah, that's my God. I remember we were downtown um, just about a month ago and, and, and Keith shared that story with me. And I knew something had happened to him because that weekend that Lord spoke to him, I ran into him in the back of the room and he was kind of emotional and and Keith doesn't really get that emotional, especially in church. He's a passionate guy, but typically he doesn't show a lot of emotion, you know, just in the course of church happening. So I knew something big had happened. And when he shared, uh, he and Amy shared that with my wife and I downtown, man, my first reaction was it's like I felt like somebody punched me in the gut, not in a bad way, but in a, oh my gosh, what almost happened kind of a way. Almost like, you know, if you're driving down the road and you see something, it's about to be a bad accident. And already you're going there. And then at the last minute, you know, one of the cars jerks away. But I was so thankful that Keith has lived his life in such a way where he could hear that voice. Well, Eddie, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. There's, there's no one thing, right? That's always the thing where I struggle with, with these messages where people are like, hey, can you give me the three things? Can you give me the five things? No, I can't because everybody's journey is different. What I can say is we need to get ourselves on the right side of that Matthew 7 verse. We need to get our si ourselves on the side of building our life on the rock. And here is how Keith has done that. Number one, and I'm going to use this little illustration on the screen. The first thing, that little wheel right there, Keith is going to be, on church, is going to be in church on Sunday. You know, barring a major catastrophe or illness or whatever, he's going to be here every Sunday. And then beyond that, you heard him say in there, he serves on our growth track ministry. And then beyond that, he serves in VOC. The other thing I know about Keith is he is a faithful tither. When it comes to his finances, he 100% puts himself in the camp of giving the full 10% that the Lord requires and probably more. I don't know because I don't keep his books. But what I know 
is that he is a faithful tither. The other thing I know is that he is very involved in small groups. He's got a small group that he meets with a couple of times a month. And that's a group of people who are like-minded believers. And, there, and it's not always like a Bible study kind of thing. It's just a fellowship kind of thing where you get together and you kind of help keep each other staying on this track and staying on this path. It gives you some good, healthy people with good, healthy boundaries to talk to. The other thing I know is that he is faithful and loves his wife and they are married. That is one of these places where you make room for God. They've got beautiful children. He did his best to raise his children in the ways of God so that they now could have a model of how to live their life. And the reason I build this out and out and out like that is because each one of those things is an area of his life where he has made room for God. And they're choices that we all have to make. Every one of those areas, we all have to make it. And I love this because this is like the 10-speed bike. And you've heard me say this before. When you've just got that one little gear in the middle, you ever put a 10-speed in first gear? Man, you are pedaling like crazy and you're barely moving. That's how it goes in life. If your only involvement with God, if the only amount of your life that you make room for God is Sunday mornings here, I'm glad you're doing that. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that you're going to be pedaling like crazy and feel like your life is barely going in the direction God wants us to. But in all these areas, if you make room for God, when you get on that outside wheel, man, you're flying. And your feet are barely going around that gear, but that bike is rolling and it is going down the road. So if Lieutenant Colonel Keith Brace can find time in his schedule, can find a place in his finances, can find a place in his family for all of these things, then we can do the same. Keith would be the first one to tell you, man, I'm not doing anything anybody else in this room can't do. I really am not. Does it guarantee you're not going to make mistakes? Nope, absolutely not. Why? Because life comes and life does what it does. Do we always get 100% right? Nope, absolutely not. But that's why we have friends. That's why we have support system. Because let me kind of show you the opposite of what I see a lot of times because this this is the hardest thing about being a pastor and this is to be honest it's, I'm, when I say this I don't mean I don't like my job I just don't like seeing what I see and not being able to do anything about it and what I don't like is when I sit down with couples and, and they're struggling and, and stuff in a relationship's not going on and we're having this conversation and I'm trying to help them and then all of a sudden I noticed that there's no rings on the finger and, and they're talking about we want God's blessing on our life. And I'm like, but that, that circle is not there. It's not that God is against you. It's just that he said, marriage is great and it's wonderful. And here's the way that it plays out. Marriage ceremonies are not a man thing. It's a God thing. Rings are not a man thing. They're a God thing. And without that in place, the blessing, it's not, God's not against you. It's just that you are choosing. You say, God, I know this is what the way you said to do it, but you know that we really love each other. And a couple say that to me. I'll say, well, you know, God knows we love each other. I said, I know he does. I know he does. He does know that you love each other. But he also knows that you've chosen to say, in this area of my life, we're going to go the way we think it should go. And he just can't bless that. And then when somebody comes in and financially they're just struggling, they're just having hardships, they're having a hard time. And they're like, man, it's like a ship with holes in it. No matter how much money goes in, it just all goes out. But when I question about tithing, that circle's not there. And again, God is not against you. God does not say, oh, you're not tithing? Cursed be you. No. 
This world is cursed. So what God says, according to that verse that Ben read, was, hey, if you tithe, if you give back to me what I said belongs to me in the first place, you move over into this house that when the winds come and the rains blow and the floodwaters rise, your house will not be moved. And then I get people and, and, and life is going really hard for them. I'm like, well, you know, tell me, who are you hanging out with? Like, how connected are you at the church? Well, I come as much as I can. When I hear I come as much as I can, you can take away groups. They're not a part of groups. And you can take away ministry. They're not a part of a ministry. I know that's not there. And this is not about you have to work. You have to, this, again, is about engaging in God in more and more areas of your life so that when you find yourself in a place like Keith found himself, which you will, then there's a sensitivity there and an understanding there because of the way that you built your life. And there is room there for God to get in and speak truth to you. So this is not about church attendance and it's not about being, it's not about any of those things. We don't push numbers here. We don't, we don't care what the membership is. None of that. What it is about is about making room in your life for God. And if the only room he has is an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, compared to all the hours to your, you know, 40 to 50 to 60 hours of work a week, and then all the other things you have going on in a week, the odds just aren't much in your favor. And again, it's not that God doesn't want to. He wants to. He wants to. But He will not make you. He will not make you make room for Him. He sits and He waits and He hopes that you make room for Him. He even says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open that door... I will come in, me and my father, and we will make our house and we will make our home with you. The sad thing about this when it starts to go down and it goes down and it goes down and somebody comes to me and says, you know what, man, I'm just, I'm just tired of more. I just need a break. I know where that's going. I know where it's going because I can look at all the other signs. They get smaller and smaller and I just need a break. Eventually is going to be, I see them every now and then, which is eventually going to be, I have no idea where they're at anymore. And that's what breaks your heart because I don't have any ill feelings towards those people. What breaks my heart is this life. It's life happening to them and I know life is going to happen to them and I hate it and I hate it for them. The, every funeral that I do makes me hate this world more and more because it is not God's desire that anyone should ever die, that anyone should ever have a horrible disease, that anyone should ever be in financial hardship. None of that is according to God's plan. But it's the world we're living in. But what God says, man... If you'll build your life on this, then when the diagnosis comes, when the hard times hit, when life just happens, there's going to be something about you that's just, it's different. And people are going to notice it. They might even say to you, that something about you is different. I noticed that. We all got, we all got pink slips. We're all getting fired. But you seem okay with that. Like, I mean, I know this isn't the greatest job in the world, but you got to pay your bills, right? I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, I noticed that Sally gets on everybody's nerve. Everybody wishes she would just shut up. But she doesn't seem to bother you. I don't, like, what, what is that? There's just something different about you. And the difference about you is not that you're superhuman. The difference about you isn't. Again, your church attendance or your ministry involvement. The difference about you is you've gotten a hold of this word and now you're becoming salt and now you're becoming light. And instead of falling into the trap that Keith almost fell into, 
which is that trap of, you know what, I just deserve better. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if anybody in this room deserves better, he does. For what that man has given for this nation, he deserves better. But you know what, there's another man in the Bible that deserved way better, and that was Paul. And Paul knew. He said, man, I deserve so much better than this. But while I'm here, this is what I'm going to get. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to run this race while I'm here, and I'm going to run it like a champion. And I'm going to let my light shine, and I'm going to tell people about Jesus, and I'm going to show them there's a way for them to overcome this world the same way I'm overcoming this world. So I'm going to stay here as long as I can because it's good for you, but I can't wait to be up and out of this place. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to run this life like a race, and I'm going to run this race like a champion. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? I know a lot of times it can seem overwhelming when you, there's a lot of things I mentioned. I mentioned marriage, I mentioned finances, I mentioned ministry. And my biggest fear is always that people run out going, oh my gosh, I've got 50 things I got to work on. And that's not what I want you to hear. I just want us to slow down for a moment and just allow the Lord to speak to your heart. Because the way he works is not fast. It's always just kind of at a walking pace. I love to picture Jesus walking with the disciples. I, I think one of the advantages the disciples had over us is that, that when they would go to a new town, a new town to share the good news for Jesus to minister, they had to walk. And in that walking, they would have conversations. And in those conversations, they would get some insight from Jesus. And that's kind of the pace that, that God likes to take with us. He doesn't take the technology pace that we have. He doesn't take the, the pace that we have of driving 80 or 90 miles an hour from here to Columbia. He just, he just doesn't take that pace. He's just, he's just peaceful. And what I want to believe in this moment is that for you, there's just one thing, just one area that maybe I mentioned that just maybe stood out a little bit more than the others. And so I just want to ask you just to be sensitive to that for a moment. I just want to ask you to open up the ears of your heart so that the Lord can whisper to your heart. What is the place room where I need to make room today? Don't look at everything. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's getting involved in a small group or getting involved in ministry, going to the growth track, whatever it might be. But just let him whisper to your heart because God is not a condemning God. So if you feel like a finger is being pointed at you, if you feel like you're being made to feel less than because of things you don't do, that is not God. That is potter. That is the enemy. Don't listen to his voice. The voice of the Holy Spirit, if you could see him with your mind's eye, you would see compassion like you've never seen before. You would see a smile that contains all the joy of heaven. And he would motion to you with a hand, just a slight, come and follow me. And he would say, hey, just for the next little bit, we're going to work on this. And just let him whisper to your heart. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are kind and compassionate. We thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. We thank you that your mercy is so grand and so vast that no matter how many times we mess up and no matter how many times we blow it and no matter how many times we get it wrong, you're always right there to help us get it right. We thank you for your grace. 
We thank you for what Christ did for us so that we now could have his righteousness, so that we now can stand in right standing with you. And Father, we ask your Holy Spirit right now to give us the strength as we walk out of here to begin to dream again, to begin to make room for you in our life, to be obedient to whatever it was that you whispered to our heart, Lord. In that one area, we're going to take a step. We're going to take the next step that we need to take to begin to make room for you in our life in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? I hope that helped you. I hope that kind of give you some, some things to think about for a great next step. If you want to get more involved in the church, if you haven't done Growth Track, go to Growth Track. It really is the next step for everything at Cathedral. If you're in the tithing situation, you're like, man, I don't even know what to do. That 10%, that sounds like a lot. Look, the one promise I can make you is that 90% of your money with the hand of God on it goes a lot further than 100% with your hands on it. But I totally understand when you're taking those first steps. And so this is what I tell people. You pray about it, you come up with a number, and every time you get paid, you give that amount every time first before you pay a bill. And you trust God to get you to the place where you can trust Him with the full thing. And if you're in a situation with the whole marriage deal and you're like, man, I just don't know what to do about that, just email us, just contact us. We'll get in touch with you. We'll help you. None of this is about condemnation and none of this is about anything you're not doing right. This is about just making room in your life for God because life is hard. Are the winds going to come? Yes. Is the rain going to pour down on your house? Is the flood water going to rise? But if you're on God's side of the equation, do you have anything to worry about? No, not a thing. Lord bless you and keep you. I bless you. What a great day today. Drive careful, get home safe and dry. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you guys. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.